All right, welcome to the Armchair Commanders podcast. My name is John. And I'm Jack. And this week we are reviewing the 1960s classic Zulu, and we're very happy to announce that we are joined by a special guest. It's YouTube's favorite red coat, Brandon. Brandon, if you could say hello and tell the folks about yourself a little bit. Well, hello, hello, everyone. Uh, I am informed that I am YouTube's favorite red coat. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, at least I'm in the top three. To be fair, I only know three of them. But um, yes, I am a uh, popular historian, I suppose you could say, a public historian on YouTube. Uh, I am a military reenactor. So if you ever hear about those you know, weirdos who dress up in the old-timey clothes and run around in the woods and pretend to shoot at each other, um, I'm one of them. And, uh, yeah, b basically what I do is I make uh, long, rambly, lecture, documentary-style videos on all sorts of different elements of British military history. I, pr I primarily focus in the late 18th century, so this is like a little bit of a departure going to the late 19th all of a sudden. Um, but I have done some work in the Anglo-Zulu War. I've looked at Rook's Drift and Isandawana. Um, actually, one of my more recent videos ha was a very big, like, a... Sort of like a mini deep dive, if that makes any sense, into the Battle of Alundi. So um, I think I have plenty to, to say. Oh, and of course, a lot of my career has been uh, delving into historical movies and nitpicking every itty-bitty little detail on why they're not as accurate as maybe they should be. Um, some call me pedantic, and I wouldn't disagree. So that's me in a nutshell. Pedantic's all right every now and again. Every now and again. You have to keep it in check, I think, but, uh, well, I don't always do that. I know I'm a, I'm a big fan of your uh, Patriot Review series going on right now. I know it's still a work in progress. Oh, but, it's uh, a work in, it's going to be a work in progress for the rest of my life, I think. There's a lot to talk about with that movie, but I appreciate it. I think uh, one of the, the videos you did, or one of the things you hit on, was the scene where uh, the... Uh, British, what, what was it, a frigate near Charleston or something like that? Yeah. Like, yeah, blows like, up. Um, it, yeah, they sneak on board and, and blow the entire thing sky high, like, right under the nose of Cornwallis. And just, like, no one notices. It's, oh, yeah. It's but I, I remember you, you went on this entire tangent about, like, the weight of the ship versus, like, its draft and the actual depth of that particular <laughs> body of water. And I'm yeah. like... Man, this is this is a lot more research than I could ever uh, have the energy to do. But I, I was thoroughly entertained by it. Yeah, it's. I, I often find when it comes to like the Patriot videos in particular, what happens is I see like one little thing, and I'm like, oh, that that seems like it might be a little off. And so I start reading up on it, and then it just kind of spirals into realizing that like the very fabric of everything about that film's existence is just a it's just a damnable lie and it's like oh no what a... and and the video that was supposed to be like 15 minutes long ends up being two hours long but uh yeah it's all in good fun and i have a few things to say about zulu with with that same uh vein i have to say but uh we'll get to that i'm sure right so how did how did you uh get into uh british military history as your as your focus well I mean, it's uh, it's been a very long and steady descent into madness, is the way that I like to put it. Um, really, just like 
you know, history in general was always the big thing that I loved. Um, going back to like watching, you know, like History Channel documentaries with my grandfather back when they at least pretended to to try on History Channel. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, wistful sigh. <laughs> yeah, back in the good old days. But back um, when they did documentaries. Yeah. Oh God, those were the days. Like the biggest complaint would be like, oh well, I disagree with the assessment of this historian. It's like. Yeah, as opposed to just... Well, Fuck we you, don't have aliens. To, yeah, exactly. We don't have to go into a History Channel rant. That's a whole other <laughs> subject, isn't it? But, um, I mean, that's really, like, where the love of history in general started. And, like, historical video games and all the, the usual stuff, right? All of us history nerds uh, have the same story, I feel like. Um, British military history in particular, like, really started appealing to me around, like, the fifth or sixth grade when... You know, when we were first learning about American history and the and the War of Independence. And, of course, what do they do in uh, in such early, like, you know, early educational years is they portray the British as, like, these unthinking robots. They're all moving in perfect synchronization and using their big, strong formations and marching with music and all that. Uh, meanwhile, you got the plucky American rebel farmers with their Kentucky long rifles out behind the rocks and the trees, and they're sniping things. It's just like this really interesting dichotomy. That, of course, it's completely false, and I dedicate a great deal of my um, of my career to sort of like adding more context to that idea to uh, correct the record, if you will. But um, honestly, to like you know, God, how old are you in like fifth grade? Like ten year old Brandon or whatever. Uh, it's like. You know, it's like Star Wars. It's like flipping the the um uh the the I forgot the name of the battle because I've oh the Battle of Naboo. It's like when all the B one droids deploy and they march in the <laughs> columns against the Gungans, and little Brandon is like, "Yes, genocide them all." It's where like you know, it's just <laughs> everyone you know goes through that stage, right? And oh yeah, I we found... were all rooting for the Gungans to get. We all wanted. We yeah, all wanted. Yeah, absolutely. So what? <laughs> Death to Jar Jar. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like Star Wars, you know. It's like a, a fun, exciting adventure story, and I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. That's so interesting. And I started reading up more about it and getting more and more into British history. And then from there, it basically was again just like this slow realization that everything I had been taught was a lie, and really just slowly learning that the real history was a lot more interesting. Um, you know, it wasn't always British history. Like, from that day onwards, I, you know, I went through the spell of being obsessed with the Romans. I went through the spell of being obsessed with World War II. Uh, you know, the usual stories. Um, you know, who wasn't thinking about the Roman Empire on a regular basis? I think that's the, that's like the current well, meme, right? That, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the meme. How I much men say. think about the Roman yeah. Empire. <laughs> so, but, um, so I gotta ask the TikTok question. How many times a week do you think about the Roman no, Empire? Oh, God. Hey now, hey now. <laughs> I don't. I think about the British Empire on a continual basis but rome is you know eh, whatever um well i mean rome rome three or four times maybe i was gonna say rome had a sizable chunk of england under its control yeah oh yeah 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 that's true there's some really though it's like i think it really like took off in in the, the snowball took off uh, when a friend of mine in high school, like towards the end of high school, became a reenactor for the Civil War. And he went off and did like the second bull run or something like that. 
Um, and I remember when he got back, he's like, oh yeah, it was, it was a fun time. I enjoyed myself. I was like obsessed. I'm like, you can't sit there and tell me that you were like wearing the blue, the kepi with the musket. You were there at the battle and you, there's no more story than just like, oh yeah, it was a good time. And we were kept in reserve for most of it. It's like, I was obsessed. I was fascinated. And he's like, well, I mean, Brandon, yeah, but like you can do it too. You know, I'm like, oh my God, I can do it. That is an option that is available to me as an almost adult. Um, and I wanted to do something with British history, I knew, because that was kind of like the thing that was becoming more popular for me. And there were some American Revolutionary War groups kind of-ish in my area. Uh, so it was just sort of like on a whim that I ended up doing AWI reenacting, because that's what was available. Um, and that, that literally started it all off, because, um, you know, it, it's, uh, getting the uniform, getting the musket and all that, I started looking at other, like, you know, like, uh, looking at YouTube channels like Scola Gladiatoria and Lindy Beige and Metatron uh, oh, and all these people. Lindy Beige. Yeah, and I'm like, you know what? Like, all these channels exist for Middle Ages stuff. I could do that. I could do that for early modern history. Um, my very first videos were literally with a GoPro strapped to a lamp, and it was horrible. But, uh... Yeah, it, it all just sort of went from there. So, um, yeah, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. <laughs> no, we were just talking about how See, you got is... your introduction to yeah, British military yeah, yeah. history. This is what happens when three guys get together and talk about either the Roman Empire or the British Empire. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. This is pretty what much. women want to take from us. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. See... My uh, my introduction to history was very genealogical based and just mm. learning about all the, uh, you know, all the different connections my ha my family had to different events in American history. Interesting. Uh, case in point, I have a ancestor who fought at the Battle of Kings Mountain, which, if oh, you wow. recall, was yeah. uh, one of the lead up battles to the Battle of Camden. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm also a a very heavily tattooed individual and uh -huh. currently my i'm working on a sleeve on one arm that it's all my family history uh kind of wrapped oh, up in the awesome. one yeah. and i was like how do i encompass the the battle of king's mountain and how is anybody going to get that and i i just scratched my head for like literal years on it i'm like i i can't i can't make this work so yeah. I did. I did a very generic. Uh, I've shared it on our Instagram before, but I oh, have. Nice. I have good old George Washington on my arm now. Yeah, just like very a Rev War thing in general. Yeah. Nice. Because you know, down with the British. Oh well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's yeah. awesome. How um, how far back have you been able to trace your family lineage? It's like I got people ask me all the time, like, "Oh, Brandon, like, do you have British ancestors?" I'm like. Nah, half the side's Jewish, the other side's Italian. I they've never been to Britain. <laughs> uh, I've I've been able to do my genealogy up until about the 1650s. Wow, that that's fantastic. Yeah, the uh, the Germans very good at record keeping for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> it's funny funny you mention that because in my area of study, addiction studies. They, um, the Swedish, the Nor Norwegians, and the Germans 
are the leaders in the forefront for addiction studies going back generations because they keep meticulous tabs on genealogy and family history. Huh. That's ve- I never thought of that as a connecting strand, but I guess that makes sense with that sort of thing. Wow. I should say my, my mother's side genealogically is very well fleshed out. My dad's side, uh, we have almost nothing because my grandfather immigrated here from Latvia uh, after World War II. So mm. as far as that side goes, we only have up into my great-grandfather. And yeah. all I know about him is that he served in not World War One, but the interwar period uh, where Latvia was trying to not get absolved by Russia immediately yeah, after World yeah. War One. I mean, that's and a really interesting time frame to be in that part of the world. It, it definitely was. And he was in the Latvian National Guard and, oddly enough, fought alongside the uh, Fry Corps or Free Corps. Yeah. Which is something I never thought would come across my radar. But that's yeah. about as far back as we can go on that side. But Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense. The, the records kind of got a little uh, disrupted there was there was some events yeah. in Europe There's, around that time. Yeah, the, yeah, there was something going on. I'm sure some secretary just lost a file along the yeah, way. Yeah, some, somewhere along the way. <laughs> but I suppose I suppose we should probably get to the the, the movie at hand. Yeah. Um, and uh, as we usually like to start, Jack, what'd you think? Well. As someone who forgot that we were reviewing this movie today and forgot we had things scheduled, I scrambled at the last second to watch as much of it as I could, and I got to about half an hour left. I'm so Pretty disappointed. Good. I'm so disappointed in you. You missed probably one of the best scenes in this movie. It, it is yeah, the most know, iconic, but to be fair, I feel like you've also just missed exactly what you would expect. One big battle, British win... But then they realize, oh, some people are dead. Big sad. And then it ends. So, I mean... Yeah, I, I looked I looked it up and, what, 15 to 17 people died out that's... of 150. Okay, not, not to get ahead, but, like, that is one of the things that I'd like to talk about and how the film portrays the battle versus, like, the... Um... Obviously, it was a very significant engagement for all of the men who were present, and obviously it was, like, a desperate defense and really, really, like, it's crazy the fact that it went the way it did, right? But I do remember the very first time watching the film, looking at it and being like, oh my god, the devastation, the death, the horror of it all, um, and the very end when they're, like, calling the roll and it feels like half the guys aren't there, and then you look up the actual stats and it's like, yeah, seven... <laughs> 17 killed, 15 wounded. It's like, uh, oh. I mean, yeah, yeah like, that's that's like 30% or whatever still casualties, which is crazy, but it definitely feels a lot more in the movie than... Well, which... especially given the, like, size disparity in forces, that's... It's honestly kind of impressive. Oh, it's really impressive. Yeah, like, like honestly... I'm sorry, carry on. Oh, and, like, 15 wounded, that was just grave injuries. Almost everybody had minor injuries, cuts, bruises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stub toe, stub yeah, yeah. stub toe. I imagine here. a lot of stub those there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and apparently the guy who Nigel Green plays Frank Bourne was the last survivor of this battle, the last yeah, Frank, living guy. And Frank and he, Bourne's life is crazy. 
he outlived Hitler and died the day after victory was declared in Europe yeah. for World War II. Well, not only that, like, the guy after Rourke's Drift, the guy stayed with the army for a while. I think he went through, like, was it, like, Southeast Asia or something like that? He was in some other, like, crazy frontiers. Eventually, when he retired from the army, during the First World War, he re-upped to go and, like, still teach guys, like, how to shoot, because after his military, like, active service, he was, like, a firearms instructor or whatever. Um, yeah, during World War One, he re-upped just to help out, like, train up the new guys, then left again, and then I think he even, like, tried to do something during World War II. It's been a while since I've read that history, but I feel like he tried to do something during World War Two, but he was too old. Yeah, and then he dies after, like, British victories declared. <laughs> That's just not, like, the most patriotic thing that i can imagine you know it's, guess it's i'll die crazy. then <laughs> yeah it's like well we've uh we've won them both there's there's no more history now so i can go it's crazy how much like individual lives can span so many different events yeah it really uh, is really. well like sure. and that's the other thing is um they, they reference this in the movie and like i was reading about the wikipedia page earlier for uh bromhead yeah and, like how his his dad was at Waterloo, and there he is at Rourke's Drift. It's like, man, I guess those things really weren't that far apart from one another, yeah. were they? Speaking of Bromhead, I have to I have to talk about uh, Michael Caine for a moment. He is yes, he is stellar in this film. Like Fantastic! He, like he's Definitely. very good at doing the like pompous officer role. I, I didn't. Um, I didn't know that Bruce Wayne's butler was in the Zulu War, but here I am learning new things every day. <laughs> Some men just want to watch the world burn. Mm -hmm. Oh, or... actually, on the note of Bromhead, just one little correction there on my part. It wasn't um, the colored sergeant who was in um, Southeast Asia. It, it was actually Bromhead. He fought in the Anglo-Burmese War. I okay. So there you go. More connections. But, uh... It was so weird seeing young Michael Caine in this role because this this was his uh, first like feature film where he was a, a, a leading actor. Because hmm. um, prior to this, he had done a lot of like theater work. He had actually been a understudy to Peter O'Toole in some productions, uh, who would go on to be in Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, excuse my fumbling of words um he was on some soap operas and stuff like that and uh i watched an interview with him where he was talking about just this film in general and getting the role because like i said this was his breakout role really and uh his audition was in a bar and he went up to the director of this film to do his audition and he was originally trying to get just like some bit part like like a just a regular foot soldier corporal whatever uh and he's like the thing i had going for me is that i had a cockney accent so he's like i thought i was a shoe in <laughs> to get the like one private who speaks with a cockney accent and uh he didn't get it and as he's walking out the bar the director's like can you can you like talk like a snobby person for a minute and he he did and he's like okay i'm going to make you the lead role and he's like huh <laughs> wow so yeah, that's what we call failing upwards right yeah exactly but i mean also i mean 
this might this might come off a little weird, but I was just like, man, Michael Caine is like a beautiful, beautiful person in in this time of his life. Like, I was oh, just yeah. I was genuinely just kind of like taken aback at how like good looking he is in this film. Yeah. It's one of the great, like, uh, I get pulled back and forth continuously watching the movie things. Because, like, on the one hand, absolutely, he and Chard both. Sorry, I don't know the, um, Baker, I believe, the guy who played Chard. Um, I don't know actors. But the two officers, like, yeah, they, they, they fit the role so well. They feel so right. They look so good in the uniforms. And they're daring and dashing and blah, 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 right? But the entire time that I'm watching them, I just think back to, like, the actual pictures of the guys. Um, and especially Chard. And it's like, where's the mustache? Where Where's the facial hair? It's like, it's like they, they look so different in a way. Um than than how the average victorian soldier would have looked i i feel like in a way they kind of encapsulate the perfect uh british officers for the time period that the film was made in for like the 20th century but that the ideal victorian officer is a very different kind of person you know what i mean right i will say that the color sergeant had a a magnificent mustache he did, but then the color sergeant, he's, in real life, he was only 5'6". He was a tiny boy, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, this is... You, you can't have a, a short, imposing sergeant. I think that you can, though. It's kind of part of the... It's what makes it kind of interesting, you know? I don't know. It, it, obviously, the, the I mean, that character as well. Like it, He worked really well in the context of the film. But honestly, most of this movie, like as I watch it, I just kind of feel like it misses the mark a little bit here and there. I think it's my most controversial statement that I could make in that, honestly, because um, I, I rewatched the movie literally just earlier today in preparation for this, I remembered it being far more impressive than I found it on the rewatch. And not just because of those tiny little pedantic details either, right? Like, not just because, oh, well, he should have a mustache and, oh, that sergeant is too big. Like, that, that's those are little concerns, right? But overall... The acting was spectacular, yeah. Um, um, the um, my, uh, Michael Caine, that's the name, right? Caine, yeah, stellar uh, performance and everything. But I found myself thinking pretty regularly, like, oh, I wish that they would have done this, that, or the other. You know what I mean? Right. There was definitely, there was definitely stuff to be desired in this film. Yeah. Um. I think one thing is, and maybe I'm jumping the gun on this particular topic, Grant, considering we have so many things to discuss about this film, but, you know, this film was made right at kind of the tail end of the decolonization of Africa. Yeah. And it's, for me, it it struck me a little weird that... You have this kind of like, we have a recurring joke on this show where it's like, America, fuck yeah. You know, like Team America, World Police. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You have movies or moments in movies that are like, America, fuck yeah. Like this comes off as like a, like Britain, fuck yeah kind of film. Yeah. And, uh, like in a more muted way, but it does. It does. And I think it, 
like it does it does give props to the Zulus, but also it kind of glosses over the fact of you know this is a time period where Great Britain is still very much a major colonial power and yeah. is, you know, subjugating a lot of people under colonial rule. Yeah. And that seems to just be kind of like a conversation or a topic that's missing in this. It's mm-hmm. it, it very much comes off as like, yeah, we're kicking the Zulu's ass. Like, you know. Yeah, but like, yeah, but exactly. There's no context given as to why that's occurring. And ergo, it allows you to sympathize completely with the characters based on the immediate cir- circumstances, but without understanding the wider considerations at play. And I- I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I think that's like the biggest thing that I always think about with, when it comes to this movie. Um, and how like in in a, in some ways, I think it's actually really a good thing that they didn't talk about that stuff. But in the other ways, it's really a massive shame, and it's like the biggest fault of the film. And I go back and forth, and I can't fully decide which one it is. You know, like because like I think that if you want to make a movie that's very specific in its aim, right? This is a war film about a very particular garrison of a particular post in a particular battle on very particular days right and so if you were to have all the officers sitting around and be like oh yes well what do you think of uh the zulu uh nation and their empire and well this is why we're invading and oh well when the uh, when the ultimatum was issued on this day it's like it would feel and it would feel out of place you know like it's very difficult to have those conversations and have it like belong Whereas, on the other hand, if you just have, like, hey, these guys, they're there to do a job. They don't really know why they're there. They don't even necessarily care why they're there. They're just there. And that's something that they do speak to a lot in the film. You outright have characters asking, like, why? Why is this happening? And they're just like, eh, because, you know, it just kind of is. And I feel like that's a pretty appropriate attitude for the soldiers to have. But also the wider narrative then doesn't really do service to the audience that's watching the film because they will walk away with that Britain F. Yeah, like, oh yeah, it was just like, you know, the plucky heroes held out against the baddies where it's like, the Zulus were kind of not the bad guys in this yeah. whole affair. You know, it's like, they're just trying to defend themselves. And there are definitely as well, I think a bunch of like little touches to where the film could have maintained this idea of we're telling the story of the garrison, nothing else. That's why we're not going to talk about politics. But there are opportunities all the same to slip in that context. At the very, very beginning of the movie, um, and Jackie, you probably remember this if you watched it like fairly recently, the entire um, conceit for it is, you know, they open up on that letter saying, hey, the column was destroyed at Isandawana. Why were they at Isandawana? It doesn't matter. They were destroyed there. <laughs> then we go over. Yeah, we we go over to the Zulu um, wedding dance where we have um, the Dewitts, the um, the missionary family. Oh God, they really massacred those characters. But they're sitting I, there and being like, "Oh yes, how quaint." Oh, there's a whole rant. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I found the preacher character very interesting, but we'll get to him. Yeah, yeah, but but you know they're they're sitting there and looking at oh yes the, the little savages having that dance and they're all being wedded <laughs> yes yes indeed extremely and condescending. The what, way what? the way that it's put forward though is news comes in to the king hey we beat him at Isandawana what next 
And then the king is like, well, we're going to go to Rourke's Drift. And they all start chanting the name of Rourke's Drift. And they're like, oh, my God. You know, the, the missionary is like, oh, my God, they're going to slaughter the garrison. We got to go. And then they leave, which is such a tiny detail, right? It's such a tiny thing. But from the very outset, then, I think that it establishes a context for everything we are seeing throughout the film that is ultimately wrong and that paints a very distinctive anti-Zulu in a way picture, right? Because now we have an army that is aggressive, that's acting out, that's going purposely to slaughter a post that they know is exposed and weak and blah, blah, blah. Whereas the reality is that the Zulu who attacked Rook's Drift were not supposed to be there. They were not the best of them. They were like some older warriors. They went outside of their orders to carry out the attack. And the reason why they left is because they hadn't prepared for it properly. And because the king was like, uh, hello guys, I told you not to invade uh, the British colony because that's a really bad idea. It, like, by removing, not, not just ignoring the con, that's the thing, is right, is... I think it's okay in sometimes to like ignore political context where it makes sense to do so, but they didn't just ignore it there, they outright changed the context which cast this different light on all like like you know like we were saying before is it makes it all of a sudden feel a lot more like heroic on the side of the British and maybe like more barbaric on the side of the Zulu. In, right? No, definitely. I think I, I don't necessarily have an issue with the British image or the the kind of projection of, you know, anti-Zulu. Because if we're, mm -hmm. we're being realistic, the average soldier or participant in this conflict, at least on the British side, would more than likely have an anti-Zulu yeah. standpoint because they are the yeah. enemy. But... It is it is that it is missing the context overall. Mm -hmm. We we reviewed a while back the movie Gettysburg, uh, mm -hmm. and Gettysburg does the exact opposite of what this film does, which is it goes into just uh, it's just a ridiculous amount of exposition time where you have like it seems like every single character in this movie gets their like five minutes yeah. to give a grand speech of like yeah. what they, Who they think are on the top. why they're yeah <laughs> yeah and it's like there is a happy medium to be had there's an appropriate scene that could be in this that we could kind of get that contextual big picture thing mm -hmm. it's just it's underdone in this film and it was overdone in uh, Gettysburg, basically. Yeah, like there, there felt like there were a lot of characters in Zulu that had a much deeper story, but like it, it almost feels like you missed the first part of the movie and a lot of the introductions because you'll see guys come on with screen time, start saying these lines. And it's like, wait, do we do we know this guy or is he? No, oh, okay, he's just kind of doing his thing, I guess. Right, and it's. I agree with you in the sense that this film is very much, you know, specific couple of days, specific battles, specific troops. And we've seen films like this before. And, and they're films that still occur today. Like uh, we reviewed Lone Survivor not too long ago. And Lone Survivor does a very similar thing where it's 
It follows a Navy SEAL team in Afghanistan. And we as the audience who are not very far removed from the conflict in Afghanistan from occurring, Mm -hmm. um, we're aware what led up to this point in this story. So it's like we don't have that, you know, kind of like, quote unquote, obligatory scene of, you know, like 9-11 and like the invasion of Afghanistan, all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I could definitely see how in like 40 to 50 years, there are going to be people that watch that film, just like we're watching this film today, that are like, I feel like I'm missing a lot of stuff leading up yeah. to this. Like, why Why are we only, like, yes, it's a very impressive and great story, but, you, you know, you, you are missing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like a tug of war, um, because I think that there's a similar um, it, it, there, there's a similar thing to be said about how the film has, uh, well, quite frankly, zero uh, Zulu representation. Not to use like the buzzword, but um, it's it's like in a, in a film set in South Africa, there is not a single uh, well black character at all, really, who has lines beyond like a voice of complaint shouting. here or a shout there a lot of it's yeah just the same guttural like, shout over like and the, over again. the war chants and whatnot yeah but and it's like you manage to t- and on the one hand you know is it necessary to have like a zulu character well not necessarily based on the story that you're telling because it's not like the british are chatting with the zulu and if you're telling the british story then you're telling their story but on the other hand, it's like, well, again, there were other opportunities where you could very easily have shown, like, another perspective. Um, for example, in the form of the multitude of um, of black levies that were at the battle. There were a number of, um, of, of natives, basically, who were there with the garrison at one point or another. Um, and they are only ever used as set dressing. And I feel like a lot of these different, you know, the only context in which we see you know, natives in this film, black characters in this film, are either the enemy, which is shouting and screaming and charging and dying, dying in droves, uh, or they are, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of like uh, set-dressing uh, laborers in the background whose only role is to get in the way in some capacity. They complain here and there because this, that, and the other isn't, being done appropriately until they they leave early on um, and after they leave it's like well they left us high and dry the traitors and that's it right that that's all we ever know um excepting of course in the very beginning where we see the zulu dance which i think is really cool that we get to see this really unique element of zulu culture um that a lot of films wouldn't show um right which, which is i mean that's good but like otherwise it's like we only ever see them as the enemy um the only times we really see anything positive about them is, uh, well, ironically enough, actually, why they leave the battle. Oh, they're saluting you as fellow Braves, which is rather silly as well. They're actually giving them a bit more credit than they maybe deserve there. But on the other hand, it's like, we'll have the Boar character somehow be the only guy who's like, oh, the Blacks aren't cowardly, they're just as good as you are. Which is kind of weird coming from a Boar because of the reputation that they had in South Africa. Maybe the individual 
person right. that uh, didn't they literally coin the term con- concentration camps it, well that, that goes way back there's a lot of stuff there but um no not necessarily no but but the boars had a very incredibly contentious relationship with native africans um and there's yeah there's just a lot of negative feeling there like a lot of british guys like in that area would often comment on how cruel the boar were boars were uh towards natives um you so you have the dance in the beginning the oh they're not cowardly speech in like the first third and then you have the saluting scene at the end but other than that there's very little that portrays the zulu perspective that shows them in anything close to a positive light that it it definitely feels i think like a one-sided story not because the narrative demands it because it made sense within the narrative but it did feel almost like they were neglecting telling that story at a number of opportunities um and that all the black characters themselves were really just set design to allow us to tell the stories of the British characters, if that makes sense. Most definitely. I, uh, I found it interesting that, you know, the, the, the Zulu leader, uh, they, they call his title is chief, correct? Uh, I, I, yeah. Chief King. There's, there's uh, a lot of, different yeah, I, I, I didn't want to use the, the incorrect one, but yeah. Um, the Zulu leader, he has like granted it's small snippets but he has got a decent amount of screen time in this film and it's genuinely kind of frustrating you know it's like you said this for as much screen time as the dude has and the fact like, that we can, we yeah. never hear him say anything that yeah, like there's like nothing shows there. there's his no side. substance yeah like it's like the number of times we see him waving his spear it's like oh, his spear has more lines in this movie than he does. Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> yeah. Um, I just want to add one thing. Um, I think you are combining two characters because the Zulu king wasn't at the battle. Oh, um, he was that's... just the guy in the very yeah. beginning who was like sitting and showing the dance. Uh, and then he's translated through the little boy. Um, okay. Then at the battle, it's one of the princes. Um, the okay. Bulamanzi, I think, is the prince at the battle. No, but you're absolutely right. Is We see him waving the spear around, but that's really... And let's like... If they wanted to avoid, like, the Zulu perspective, like, the way to do that then is don't show the leaders on the hill. Show, like, the British looking up, like, through the through the binoculars. Be like, I think he's giving orders. I see he's doing something. Like, there are other ways to do that. I will say the other thing that I found interesting, though, is, like, despite the lack of representation of like the zulu point of view or like kind of looking into their mindset in this film like Mm. the fact that there's a large amount of actual zoo like descendants of zulu warriors that were at this battle like their their descendants were literally playing them in this film and and including the the king in this point it was his great grandson who is playing his him in this film as well yeah so Uh, i think it was actually the like then reigning zulu chief so yeah that's so that's it that is one aspect that i found very impressive is that i i think it, it would have been very hard not to be tempted just to find a bunch of random african actors and just be like 
okay, dress yeah. up like Zulus, but the fact that yeah, they like, actually got give them like, real Zulu yeah, this, like cardboard shield. Yeah, yeah. It, so it that's something I think the film deserves that. props for. It does. I, I, it feels almost like the film creators definitely wanted to tell the story in like a respectful way, and they were like engaging with the Zulu. The Zulu were into it and everything, but like. I don't know, maybe maybe you could say it was just like it's being filtered through the times and a movie in the 60s, people weren't expecting to hear black people talk or something. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but oh yeah, that is definitely cool. There was nothing going on in the 60s that would have caused any kind of issues with that. Well, I mean, <laughs> if, I, if I remember right, they outlawed racism in 59, was it? So, no, it wouldn't have been allowed by that point. But, um... Well, I mean... You know, discriminatory practices are still illegal, but we know how well that's going. So <laughs> yeah, no, that yeah, that, that that's my point. Just joking around with it, but um... <laughs> but I think it's I think it's time. Considering we had mentioned it earlier, I think it we need to to address the preacher in this film. And <laughs> the preacher in the chapel. Yeah, <laughs> I will say, I I will let you go on your your rant of your issues with him. I will say, though, just as a film character, I found this preacher rather interesting because mm-hmm. usually in a film, a preacher is like a, a source of strength, um, yeah. like a source of compassion versus like here is a guy who's literally getting offended that, you know, the, the chapel's being turned into a hospital yeah. when we when there's literally umpteen million movies where we see a church being used as a chapel, that's just kind of like a, a norm for people in their mm-hmm. brains to be like, yeah, of course they're going to do that. And yeah, to see like the him preacher kinda... should be like, here, take the wounded here. We shall aid, aid them and all that. Yeah. But instead he's like clutching his metaphorical pearls and, you know, he, he's grabbing the, the, the goblet for uh, communion. He's like, mm-hmm. how dare you? And then, you know, they, they send him on his way eventually because he starts just yelling. It's like, you're all going to die. And it's like, yeah, he hey. gets drunk in the shed and they have yeah. to send him away. So it's very interesting to see what would be kind of a stereotypical character being the exact opposite of what we expect them to be. Yeah. But and I will know, let you go on your yeah and i first i should have apologized at the very beginning because i i do realize that i tend to go on a lot but oh i mean you knew that when you here you knew that when you signed on to to when you invited me on here i right anyways i i think that you really hit the nail on the head with that you really did and i think that that in a way then dewitt really does encapsulate my feelings about this entire film which is that as a character he is very well done he's a fascinating figure he's a really interesting blah 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 all that stuff you just said and the entire film i it was really good i remember i remember loving it oh it's zulu this is like the classic this is the one for the zulu war um yeah it has its mistakes but it's really good and then watching it back again with more knowledge of what really happens and i'm like oh no oh this is this is actually not the best and i and so for example dewitt very well written character as you said but the funny thing is 
we go back to this idea of the tug of war, right? The funny thing is, is that when you look at the actual guy who was really there, he kind of is a bit more of that stereotypical. He was sitting there, he's like, I'm in favor of the British intervention, and I'm going to help you all here in the garrison, and I would stay behind during the battle. He wanted to at first, is what I was reading just before. But he left because he had a wife and kids at home. He's like, I'm sorry, but I must go to my family. It's like, this is the most stereotypical character you could imagine. And yet, by their doing that, it would have been more authentic, more accurate. Telling that it's, it's like this back and forth of, I feel like a lot of times the movie will do something really interesting and really well, but then there's always an obverse to it, right? Like, you know, not showing any black characters. Like, okay, well, but there's a reason for that. Eh, but then also the reason isn't necessarily done very well. Um, it, it, no, matter what, no matter what direction you look at with the movie, I feel like there's always positive things to say, but then there's always going to be those flaws that prevent it from really being great. You know what I mean? Like, like they're portraying what was ultimately a good man and a man that was really very helpful to the British. One of the guys who was actively aiding them and they turned him into an alcoholic who was doing everything possible to sabotage the effort, right? Right. Well, we see that also with the Private Hook character. Yeah, you know, yeah. Private Hook as a character in this film, fantastic character. You know, he's he's made as this troublemaker, a, a malingerer, um... And, you know, he ends up being a hero of the battle. And because he starts off as a dis, uh, dislikable person, seeing him rise to the occasion makes him almost more heroic. But again, it's, you know, in real life, like his family of the, the family descendants of this particular soldier has been very upset because military records show that he was average, if not, you know, above average in his duties as a soldier like he was never the like like number one gambler in the company you know yeah yeah trying to like swindle out other wounded men and nonsense like that jack i feel like i feel like you'd be the guy doing uh the the cup game if you were a soldier <laughs> yeah yeah probably not much of a gambler, you know that. Hmm. But I am quite the trickster. <laughs> Ooh, my my shoulder hurts. I need to go to the hospital. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry I'm not keen on dying far <laughs> off in Africa, thousands of miles yeah. away from my home. Gonna need to pay me a bit more for it until I'm ready for that. Yeah, not many people are. For right. king and country, Jack. Fuck or was king it... and fuck country. Oh, no. Or was it queen and country? Queen and country then. It was queen okay. and country, but now it's king and country. Yes. I stopped, Sorry. Pay... I stopped paying attention after George III. <laughs> oh, that's when it gets really fun. Oh, well. But, <laughs> yeah, it's like, I... It's... That's the thing about Zulu, is I feel like every time it takes a step forward, it takes a step back. And my... All right, my hot take, right... As soon as I, like, joined in with the podcast, I'm like, this is going to be the thought that I'm going to put out there and that people are going to get angry at me for. My hot take 
is that Zulu is only regarded is as good as it is, or it's only seen as like the iconic piece that it is. It's because it's well, good acting. Yeah, yeah, whatever. It's the only <laughs> film that bothers to actually show the Anglo-Zulu War. That and Zulu Dawn. Otherwise, there's nothing out there. It's kind of like all of the Rev War reenactors that I know, they'll mention the Patriot, and they'll be like, yeah, there's nothing better, though. And I'm like, but that's... First of all, that doesn't excuse it. It's it's a horrible movie, and just because it's the only thing doesn't make it better. But it's like, yeah, same thing with this one. It's like, there's... There's just no other content. And so all the nerds for this war, it's like, well, this is the only thing that we have. So we have to focus on all of its most redeeming qualities. It gets the timeline wrong. It gets details of the battle wrong. It gets I, the material culture. It looks good. Like you said, like having actual Zulu looked really good, sounded really good. It, it's not a horrible film by any stretch. But I, I believe that especially for a history nerd, it's thoroughly average. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Thoroughly average. I, Zulu I suspect, is thoroughly average. Yeah, I suspect that I will be crucified for that comment. But, you know, it's it's just, it's all that's, the... Oh, God, that's okay. So many I, I, I shan't talked, take you upon the cross. <laughs> I talked mad, mad shit on Gettysburg. and uh, Good, so Thank I, you. I have to watch I, that I feel your pain. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not the you only one. You also talked massive shit on Star Trek. That shit Star Trek family history, bro. Oh, Star Trek okay. 6, The least, Undiscovered Country, yes. At least it will be in a couple centuries. But oh, still. no, John. You don't have to watch you. 1 through 5. It doesn't matter. Watches number 6. Yeah, I don't understand anything. Oh, goodness. Well, how much of it did you get through pop culture osmosis? Because I could piece together what I needed to, and I haven't seen the other five either. <laughs> All I yeah, know I, is that. How do you uh, expect me to get Zulu if you don't watch the other five <laughs> movies before this one? <laughs> That's the point. Zulu's the only one. <laughs> well, correction, there's Zulu Don, but that's, yeah. that's for I, another time. I kind of prefer Zulu Dawn as a film, not because it's actually better, though, just because I think that the story of, like, The Last Stand is kind of more fun than the one where they actually win. I, I feel like the, the tragedy of defeat is more compelling a narrative function than the triumph of su success above all odds. Uh, but that being said, if I were to rewatch it today, I'm sure that I'd have many of the same problems. Like, the number of times watching Zulu where you just, like, see... Because the extras got to, like, a certain point where it's like, okay, well, in real life, the Zulu would have just overwhelmed and killed everyone right here, but obviously they don't do that, so the Zulu were just kind of, like, standing there and, like, kind of, like, oh, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna stab you, I'm gonna stab you, and then the British are just shooting them right in front, it's like, oh, they could have coordinated this so much better, it's, well, maybe if they show the fortifications as tall as they should be, then it wouldn't have had this problem, uh, but, I will oh. say that... The combat did leave something to desire. And Jack, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, this is astounding to me. But I truly believe this is the first film that we've reviewed that has the Wilhelm scream in it. When is the does Wilhelm it? scream? There's a moment where Michael Caine, like, boots a Zulu in the face off the, like, thatch roof. And he goes, Ah! <laughs> oh i don't remember that. i'm almost certain we've had a wilhelm scream before isn't there Just like don't a, ask me when isn't there like a mass database of wilhelm screams oh yeah like of all films that have it oh yes 
is this is the first time I have noticed the Wilhelm scream in a film. So that we've reviewed. <laughs> but God, it's, it's yeah, it's so bad. Like the the combat scenes, they're they're very tense. Like you're like, like especially when the Zulus like close in, you're like, oh, that like you know, I felt myself just being like, oh, is this it? But yeah. also, it's hard to stay in the moment when you have literal like like sword in the armpit like moments. Yeah. Yeah, and like, like there's very little, if any, blood. It's like, oh, look at that ketchup stain on his shirt. That's where he yeah. got stabbed. Like the, just... the spears only ever go oh, in yeah. like an eighth of an inch, and the person is dead. And you're like, that's just a scratch. What are you talking about? And they're vi- and they're very obviously like rubber. Yeah. Oh god. god. Yeah. Just wiggling all over the place. Yeah. One thing that I did appreciate about the combat scenes, though, um, is no music in a lot of it. They yeah. really let the sound design speak for itself. And maybe it could use touching up like here and there, but for the most part I think it, I think that was pretty good. I think that was the right call for a lot of these scenes, you know? Yeah, and uh one one part of the combat that I, I genuinely appreciated was the like kind of the the climax of the entire battle, which is the you know, their they're backed up to the last fortification and Michael Caine starts ordering the fire by rank. And it's just one after the other, after the other. And you can just, just feel the, like, like there's genuine tension in this moment. And then it it becomes quiet. And then you see a literal mountain of bodies. Yeah. I feel like like that's the first time that you really start to actually think about the fact that each one of those Zulu on the ground is actually a person because they don't just have them laying down there. They have them actually like writhing on the ground and you hear the moaning and such. It's like, Oh, Oh, this isn't just a game. Is it? No. And it's, you know, for as, as silly as some of the earlier combat scenes is with like, you know, the, you know, rubbery bayonets and whatnot. It's, this is, it's a very, real moment where you yeah. you understand the gravity yeah what did you think about that moment jackie the moment of the battle <laughs> the last one that you missed oh yeah it was oh man it was riveting i, I can't oh, stop thinking about it <laughs> shut up <laughs> no but I, I absolutely um they, i mean the scene's iconic for a reason except for the fact of course they have the made-up version of men of harlock which just it's a knife in the heart every time it's like this oh yeah because so cooler why did men you of, make up a version of the song men of harlock wasn't even the the regimental song at this time was no it? it wasn't even a welsh regiment at the time like half of the soldiers were english it, it's it's very silly a lot of again a lot of those little touches where it's just like why did you change this yeah there, there were quite a few points in this movie that were, dare I say, Welsh-phobic, where they depict that one tall Welshman, like a dumb yokel, and how he's nurturing yeah. that calf. Yeah. <laughs> now, now get your pack, you damn Welshman. Yeah. Whoa! I, I Whoa. wouldn't even say that it was, like, necessarily, like, Welsh-phobic, but, like, just so much as, like... It was all about Welsh soldiers. It was like, you know, they're commenting like, oh, you know, that's what you get from an English officer. This is a Welsh regiment and Wales this and Welsh that. It's like it's a majority of the I'd hear utter (laughs) Welsh phobic. Yeah, but it's like but the Welsh were a minority of soldiers. It's like once again, we're kind of like making up this weird national identity where one doesn't exist. 
it's like a Braveheart kind of thing. It's like what this doesn't this wasn't like a, a it yeah, it just outright wasn't a Welsh battle. There there were Welshmen there, there were Englishmen there, there there was a Swede there, like there's a whole bunch of different people there. What are you going on about? There were Zulus there. Oh yeah, there's a lot of Zulus. <laughs> well, and, and and there were the uh, I'm looking at the wiki page, there were the um eleven colonial troops that there were black people there too. Give them some credit, you know? Oh well. I did like that one creature telling them Africans that were helping them, like, this is a lost cause, you might as well just go home and they're like, Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then split yeah. <laughs> Also, to a certain point you have to be like, Isn't this already their home? Like Like what are they supposed to do? Just go like one go valley over? Fighting. <laughs> There's no yeah, dog in this of... fight. That's kind of the thing as well. It's like it's like who are those characters? Why are they here? Why why would they choose to stay? Why would they choose to leave? It's like that's a really interesting story that I feel like yeah, it did get completely like lost over. Same thing with Zulu Dawn, where like flipping a significant portion of the soldiers at Isandawana were native levy, were native soldiers. Uh we don't see them at any point except for when they're complaining about the lack of ammunition. That that's literally it. It's like it's just it's just very large swaths i feel like of the story of the anglo-zulu war were any and the story of this individual battle they are being cut out in order to make room for moments that ultimately honestly i don't care about i don't really care about the the calf that the welshman was looking after i don't care about the fact that uh you know they had the choir and whatnot it, it, but but It'd be fine if it was there alongside all the real history, but it's like, why don't you focus on the real stories and then add on to that as opposed to cutting those things out? Personally, I could have done with more screen time with the cows because they're the true heroes in this film. <laughs> Just give us yeah, an entire were... Zulu War movie from the perspective Bro, of the cows. The cows. <laughs> they did not flinch, which nah. I'm calling bullshit as someone who's wor worked with cows most of my life. Talk about taking one for the team. <laughs> what, you're saying that your cows wouldn't valiantly prevent you from a Zulu attack? No, Jack? they would fucking leave me for dead. <laughs> <laughs> they would be beyond the hills the second the first shot rang out. Yeah. Ooh, open fence! Oh, God. Yeah. All that shows cows to just, me. Cows have no honor, and they know no god. Except themselves. <laughs> I feel like well, I mean, they, they, are, they are holy animals to some cultures, so. Yeah, I mean, well, they, to the Zulu themselves, cattle was like the basis of all of South African society. You know, not just the Zulu, but basically every culture down there is all like, like, oh, you think that you're rich? How many cows do you have? Oh, five? Pfft, that's pathetic. <laughs> Get out of here. My chief has 80 cows. Like, you know, that's what and it was all about. And he has people that tend them for me. Yeah, like the, the, no, literally, like the entire basis of a lot of these South African societies were like the, the like chief the owns all of the cows. We rent the cows from him. That's why he's the chief. Yeah, and the the Maasai gave us the United States like fourteen cows after nine eleven because they were just so darn felt so darn bad for us. <laughs> that, I'm not sure awesome. what we did with them, but I hope we did something nice. 
Maybe we got stakes uh, for all the first responders. That'd be fun. Yeah. I was uh I was w- listening to another podcast recently and they were it's called the Civil Weird podcast and uh spoiler alert there are guests next week. Uh but we'll get to that later. Um anyways, they were doing an episode on the United States Camel Corps and Ooh. it was it was a great episode. I highly recommend it. Uh again, it's the Civil Weird podcast. Um anyways, they were talking in this episode how i forget which country exactly it was i think it might have been egypt but egypt sent us a gift of like a dozen or so camels but by this point we had already imported maybe like 50 to 100 of them so we sort of knew like what's a good camel what's not a good camel and there's literally like the person who accepted these camels from the egyptians was like I would never accept these like flea-ridden, like husk of an animal. It's an insult to our country, and it's like oh just take the camel, dude. Yeah, it would it would have been easy to just say, "Oh, thanks, thanks so much." Yeah, but anyways, I, I highly recommend checking out that episode. It's it's very entertaining. Yeah, I didn't know the Americans had a camel core. I will have to look into that. Yeah, it was experimented with it was experimented with uh you know what with the uh expansion through the american southwest they're like oh for for use in america yeah yeah okay whoa yeah it was used it was proposed by the confederates to haul ammunition and supplies across deserts that is insane Jeff Jefferson Davis Je- Jefferson Davis actually led the uh, before he became a traitor he led the the effort for a Camel Corps, and it wow. it gets wilder because one of them got loose and lived feral,ly in like New Mexico or something, <laughs> and legend has it that there was a skeletonized rider atop it that would haunt the deserts. Oh God! So once again, though, all right, so. All right, I'm going to bring it back to the Zulu movie, right? <laughs> Once again, that proves my point that I have not shut up about this entire time. Is that fact is so much cooler than fiction. If, like, you mean to tell me there are people out there, like, making up so stories set in, you know, in whatever historical context. Like, oh, we'll make another movie about... Uh, the Tudor era, and we'll make up half of our facts because the real history is too boring, whatever. You mean to tell me that people make up all this stuff that's so uncreative and drab and dull. Meanwhile, you got Confederate camel corps roaming around the deserts. <laughs> like, and, and skeleton camel. Like, you want a horror movie? Heckin' the Headless Camel Rider. There you go. That's wonderful. I want to hear those stories. I want to even- hear the story of the cow at Rourke's Drift. I want to hear the story of Prince Dabulamanzi and why he decided to attack Rourke's Drift. Like, the stories are there. Why can't you tell them to us? You know what's even crazier about the camels? There is a, I kid you not, there is a Confederate grave marker because one, there was a Confederate regiment that had one of these camels as like its, its mascot. Because, uh-huh. you know, animal mascots are very popular back in the day. You know, yeah, that's yeah. where the 101st Airborne gets its Screaming Eagle patch from is because there was a Civil War regiment that had a pet bald eagle called Old Abe. Huh. 
I did not um, know that. But yes, I forget which battle, but it was on the eastern half or the eastern theater. So really out of place for this camel to even be in the first place. Yeah. But their camel got shot during a siege. Oh, that's <laughs> tragic. It, it is. But to think that somewhere in the deep south, there is a Confederate grave marker for a camel. That's just crazy. Yeah. Blows my mind. Another thing. I'm sorry. Now we're really off track. But like, it vaguely reminds me. Um, I have some family um, in like the Bethlehem area of Pennsylvania, and okay. we were going around Bethlehem at one point, and one of the old cemeteries. And there's a grave marker there too. Um, it said. You know, I saw, like, the little, like, uh, star thing or whatever that said, like, he's a veteran. So I'm like, oh, go check out that grave. See, like, you know, who he was, where he served, that sort of thing. And it was in French. It said, soldier of the emperor. I'm like, I'm sorry? And I looked the guy up. And he, this, he was a Frenchman. He served with Napoleon in, like, the Nile. He went back after that and he served in Russia. And all this crazy stuff. He eventually emigrated to the United States where he died in Pennsylvania. And he's buried there. And they... It's yeah, it's just these stories, and, and they credited him as one of the yeah as, as a soldier of the emperor. Yeah, it, that it's is insane. History is fun, but they never tell the history in these movies. You know, it's like it's written for you. It's right there. It's so easy. But oh well. Oh well. So uh, Jack, what are you drinking tonight? You know. Uh... You know me, the ever bougie. I'm drinking a Bud Light. Well, a couple Bud Lights, actually. How very, how very uh, posh of you. Eh, shut up. I'm not rich. <laughs> Brandon, how about you? What do you have this evening? Uh, well, um, I'm trying to think of a joke to preface it with, but I, I can't think of anything funny. Apple juice. I'm a you teetotal. I don't. I don't drink. I like my oh, juice. That's fair. Plus, we're, fair we're going. We're going that. into fall, so I mean, the apple. Yeah, is cozy. Yeah, I exactly. That. See, the I... real kicker is that it's not even actually full apple juice. I water it down. It's like nine parts water and then one part juice. It's just whoa, crazy man. We can't have. I, I know. I know. Apple <laughs> juice hitting the sauce too hard. That's a, that's a lot of sugar in that stuff. Okay, like a lot okay. of sugar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm splitting the difference. Uh, usually I have some sort of mixed drink, but I, uh, forgot the, the adult port part of it. So I literally just have <laughs> Coke in my mug with some lime wedges because usually I do like rum and Coke and stuff. So I have, I have half of a rum and Coke. Well, there you go. <laughs> so it's just the Coke with lime. So much like the Zulu movie, you started out great, but something's just missing along the way. You know, that's that's a great analogy. There is there is Beautiful. something missing in my cup, just like there's something missing <laughs> in this movie. I feel like I should get credit. That that's that, that's a good title right there. Something you know what? If we ever do up T-shirts, that will be the that'll be the quote on the back. I will I will take my royalties. Thank you very much. Well, if you know anybody who wants to sponsor this show, send them our way because we have zero of them. No, that's our that's I, another one of our recurring jokes is uh, we bring up companies we would gladly be sponsored by, but who never will. So, 
Uh, well, something tells me uh, whatever company owns the rights to uh, Zulu will not be one of those companies to potentially sponsor you in the future. No. And but the, the Bud Light train has, has sailed its ship also because uh, I've, I've talked a massive amount of uh, smack on them. So <laughs> not necessarily about them, but more because of Jack's choice in drinking it. Well, of course. Because usually I, uh, in the past, I have done drinks that are kind of themed to whatever movie we're doing. Obviously, there's evenings that I'm lazy. But uh, I think it was like, God, what was it? We were reviewing Wind Talkers, I think. And I was like, oh, I'm having myself a, a glass of sake. And I'm like, what are you having? And he's like, Miller High Life. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> you gotta have it's like it's like the um you, know, you gotta have someone to play the straight man in any comedy duo right i feel like the uh the roles are reversed here because usually jack yeah is you're the, the weirdo the, the jack no i'm just the normal one you're the comedic relief oh you're right yeah i can't argue with that well so here i'm gonna bring i'm gonna bring you a bit more into this jackie i'm gonna pull us back in uh Excuse my watch, like take over. I guess for, for, I'm sorry, um, but Jackie, you. I think it's actually really well, interesting. You didn't finish the film before nope. you came here today. So, what is your impression of like the theme of the film? What was like the tone that you got out without that final battle? It's hard to sympathize sympathize with the British on this. Mm-hmm. Now, why yeah. why do you say? Well, I mean, it's, it, ain't, it ain't their land. Yeah. So is it, I mean, I mean to say, like, is it because of, like, something within the context of the film? Or do you think that's your external knowledge playing a factor, right? Well, we were talking about lineages earlier. Yeah. And I'm one of the fewer than 10% that can trace their lineage back past 1492. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I, I tell people I'm part Lakota and part British, so or you know, part <laughs> Irish. So the British kids were always beating me up as a kid. <laughs> yeah, Jack. Jack usually takes the uh, the home team side. <laughs> That's fair. I just want to think... know why they attacked in waves and not just one swarm. You see that that's another thing right there right see that see you're setting me up i got another rant i got another whole ramble please just beat me down with the baseball bat please. if you have to but here's the thing right Jesus. here's the thing because you just said i don't understand why they did that and the other scenes like we were talking about john when you could like tell that the zulu were like hanging back because if they didn't the battle would have gone else you know what i mean like the choreography wasn't like perfect and that means alongside so many other history films and it drives me up a wall is there are so many moments in the film where we as audience members will be sitting there being like oh well if i was there i would have done this why don't they just do that why didn't they do this other thing because that's the obvious thing to do that would change the course of it it seems like oh if these people were experienced they would do it this way why didn't they do this other thing 
And yeah, well, I get that. Yeah, it's like, obviously in real life, as, as we all know, obviously there are extenuating circumstances. There are reasons why things took place the way they did. But when you don't portray the history appropriately, or at, the, at its worst, like, not only when you miss things, but when you actively portray it incorrectly, you really drive those questions and you promote this idea that history was way more simple and that its agents were far more um, flawed, like incomplete humans, so to say, than what they like really our, were. Like our ancestors were just dumb. Exactly. Like, like, did you get that sense from it at all? Like any moment in the film where it's like, well, why don't they do this one thing that seems stupid? <laughs> If if I was there at the defense, I would simply shoot at the attackers and not miss. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like it I feel like it kind of drives that kind of thinking, right? Like, oh, if at the very end they were able to kill them all in one go because they set up three ranks and did firing by ranks, well, why didn't they just do that from the very start, right? It's like why Hindsight. why bother with these outer defenses that are just uh more and strung out, right? And I think I did read a reasoning as to why they attacked in waves. Mm -hmm. And part of it was due to the fact that they were traveling for, like, what, two days straight? Yeah, like, these guys had run crazy amounts of distance. They had, like, no food with them, and they were launching these desperate attacks. They expected to just sweep it away, but then it's like, oh, that didn't work. Are we, like, stuck in a siege now? Uh, I don't know. It's this whole massive, again, Zulu context that when you completely neglect it, opens up these massive questions. And then even worse, when you portray the Zulu in a very distinctive but flawed way, it, it, it feels like you're telling a completely different story than what really happened. So what you're saying, Jack, is you would have done way better in this. Oh, yeah, I would have killed all the British single-handedly. It would have been a wipeout. Yeah. I feel like I probably would have been like the preacher, like, peace out! Yeah, yeah. no, realistically, that's what I would have done, too. Like, y'all, I know y'all ain't paying me enough for this. Yeah. Yeah, really, the... I think that the film is most strong in, like, that first third. In that rising action, when the battle hasn't actually begun yet... But, like, they're just talking about, like, hey, are the Zulu out there? Are they coming? Are they going to attack? I don't know. We should set up defenses. And they're trying to figure it all out. Like, that's when the film is at its most powerful because we don't have those conflicting narratives. Because it allows the characters to to speak in more, like, even terms, so to say. Um, and just because we don't see those problems yet. Because we, we don't have the problems... Uh, brought to the fore in the way that they are unavoidably during the actual battle sequences. Sometimes you use very big words and it's hard for me to, to process it in a, I'm in a sorry. Quick... Computer men <laughs> make big words. <laughs> no, you, you made a very good point. I'm just, I was processing it there for a second. I was like, oh, it, it, it just seems like I'm not responding to him. No, you're fine. Well, see, that's the beautiful thing about it being a podcast is you just go into audacity and you cut it out, right? You can just trim oh, yeah. things, right? That, that's the trick. I've been, I've been considering changing up the, uh, our recording platform, but mm -hmm. 
there's only so many minutes in a day that I can use my phone for not scrolling social media. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if you have uh, had the chance to listen to any of our our previous episodes, but I think I listened right to a bit a- of the one on the Psalm. Okay, with uh, Rob from History in Your Hand. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, if you if you're listening right now, Rob, we know at least one person listened Quite to that me. episode. <laughs> there you go. Who's the real Englishman here? Ooh, you done did it. Oh yeah. Um, so we like to rate the films. It's only appropriate to to rate a movie. Uh, we don't usually yeah. do. We or we never do stars uh, because we think that's a little generic. Lame. So we usually we usually come up with a custom rating for each episode, <laughs> something that really emphasizes the film. Uh, I forgot what we did last week. What? Oh, last week was Mulan, and we did I think it was like bowls of porridge or something. <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> do uh, how many Victoria crosses? Victoria Crossings. I was going to go with Rubber Spears. Rubber Spears? <laughs> rubber Spears, yeah. <laughs> I think Rubber Spears is a good metric for this. I, I, I like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys, what are your Rubber Spears? Brandon, you can go first. How many Rubber Spears Ooh. do you give this? So, see, I always avoid numerical rankings, like, in, in any way, right? Because I feel like it's so uh, tricky I suppose mm, I would give it, you know, all right, all right, here's going to be my, all right, this, I'm going to, I'm going to cheat, right? Listen to this, listen to this. You're going to like this. I am going to give it between three and 4,000 rubber spears, which is the number of Zulu warriors that were actually at the Battle of Rook's Drift. But here's the thing about a rubber spear is that may sound, wow, 4,000. That's a whole lot, Brandon. But when you really think about it, it doesn't actually amount to much of anything at the end. (laughs) Boom. That's my review. It looks impressive at first, but the more you think about it, the worse it becomes. Simultaneously (laughs) the largest and lowest ranking we've ever had. I think that's appropriate for Zulu. <laughs> wow. Jack so again, how many rubber how many rubber spears did you get? <laughs> Between three and four thousand. <laughs> it's it's like uh, Dragon Ball Z. His level's over nine thousand. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but wait, like, so you gave it how many out of four thousand? No, 4,000 rubber spears, but at the end of the day, when you really think about it, a rubber spear isn't worth very much. So, hmm, maybe like a, maybe like a 6 out of 10. It's, it's like the equivalent, like a rubber spear is the equivalent of like a penny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> On the other side that's scrawled in the rubber, this has no monetary value. <laughs> yeah, not redeemable for cash value. <laughs> It's just a movie penny. Jack, how many how many rubber spears do you give this film? Well, as someone who didn't finish it, um, <laughs> six rubber spears, but one of them is successfully lodged in an Englishman. Oh, so seven okay. and a half. All right. So there's there's like 
there's six rubber spears and a corpse. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that works. Well, let's hear yours then, John. Um, I'm I'm quite conflicted on this. Uh, you know, we we've, we've gone into it quite in depth. I love Michael Caine in this movie. I loved his character. I loved his acting. I think there was interesting characters in this film that were well done. Obviously, there were things to be desired, acting, contextual things, all that, uh, even just historical accuracy. So I, I think I think between the two, the, the balancing act I'm doing, I want to give it seven out of ten spears. Oh. Okay, it's okay. it's a little higher because I think I am giving I'm giving more credit to the performance than I am to the historical side of it. That's fair. I just hope that you understand that if I were to do so, my career would be over. I would ruin oh, my credibility, yeah. right? That's my well, whole Of stick. course. See I'm not I, allowed to enjoy things. I have the benefit of being very naive about this particular conflict, so I can ignore <laughs> a lot of things that are wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> Now, when it comes to, uh, God, what do we have coming up? Oh, or if we ever review a movie like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, then I can be <laughs> as pedantic as possible. Oh, but, God. <laughs> but like I said, I'm, I'm very uninformed about this conflict or my, my education level is lower on it. So I can let a lot more stuff slide. That's fair. That's fair. So, Jack, what does uh, Ron Tomatoes have to say about this? So, um, the tomometer is 96%, wow. and the audience is a 91%. So the audience is closest <laughs> to all three of our rankings, but a bit more generous. I thought I was being generous. Yeah, and you and, are. And it's like, the closest to your rating. Like, like I said, honestly, I, I feel like... I used to have a much much closer to a 90. I probably would have given it more like a 70-80% earlier, but like now having rewatched the film again for the first time in years and now that I know a lot more about that part of the world, about all the history because I've been working with it a lot more recently, it's like I've had a lot of realizations about the movie. You know, it's like I I feel like a lot of it is just hindsight and I think that it's a lot of um I don't know. I just think that a lot of people kind of fanboy over it because it's the only movie that talks about it. Would you say maybe that a good comparison would be individuals who enjoy or are entertained by modern day history channel, as opposed to old school history channel would be the ones who give this film 90%. Uh, Honestly, not so much. I think that the sorts of people who give this film ninety percent are, honestly, they're 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 older. They um, they're not the sort of people who grew up on History Channel documentaries. They're the sorts of people who grew up, uh, reading like, Pulp Fiction, comic-y, Like basically, I think that the people who grew up with this movie are the ones who enjoy it the absolute most. Um. I think that 
it's a very distinctive kind of movie that appeals to i don't want to say boomers because that's just crude but it kind well, of appeals cat's out to of the bag. because yeah well because you know it's 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 definitely a movie that is like of its time in both good and bad ways right like there's only one woman character and she isn't really all that in depth right they're the only black characters are not all that in depth it's it's the sort of movie that could not be made today and i feel like then as a result more modern audiences would actually have worse things to say i imagine that there's a great deal of people who would talk about oh the movie is just racist and it's not worth anything i feel like that's way too far right i'm not saying that it's like a racist movie i'm not saying it's a pro-imperialist movie anything like that um but nor is it forgiven on all those points either if that if that makes sense right so i i feel like most of the people who really love the film are either the ones who have a more cursory awareness of the anglo-zulu war or yeah like i said they're the people who kind of grew up with that movie and they like that older style where you don't have to have as interesting characters so long as the acting is good you don't have to have as interesting a story so long as there's a lot of action I don't know. Right. Maybe that sounds very, very prejudiced, but eh. it's maybe podcast. I have in my you, mind. you get to you get to say any yeah. opinion you want. Yeah. Well, maybe I, I I sort of have in my mind honestly a very distinctive image of like the like older like British boomers on like Anglo Zulu War Facebook pages who have like shared my videos about the Anglo Zulu Wars and they like complain about how stupid and bad and wrong i am just because they don't like the way that i present the information be like they think like oh he's not being respectful to the history and then they go and talk about the Ang- about the movie zulu for like two hours because uh, i see it happening on those pages and it's like what are you what are you getting out of this experience like what are you what are you uh watching the movie for if not the history and i think that there's something else to it i think it's People like it more for the adventure under a guise of history, if that makes sense. Right. I think we, you know, we we mentioned it earlier, but I we kind of came across this issue with the movie Gettysburg also because, yeah, it yeah. it definitely is on the line or it toes the line of being, um, you know, kind of that lost cause narrative. Where we're yeah. more focused on like, look at our brave Southern boys facing down the Union guns, and it's like, mm-hmm. can we can we just remember they're they're fighting for the preservation of slavery? Like that's a major point. Exactly. In this. Yeah. Like, and it's like on the one hand, it's like okay, well, no, you don't want to be watching a Gettysburg movie and then have them harping on about slavery constantly because that's not realistic, right? But on the other hand, you can't just ignore it totally. Like it's right. relevant. It's like. You can acknowledge, like, like take Pickett's Charge. Pickett's Charge, an incredibly brave act to have participated in that, to mm-hmm. have undergone that. Like, it it takes a lot of strength and bravery to walk across a mile-long open field under cannon fire. I'm not denying that, and I think they should yeah. get credit for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But th- they're, they're people, they're nuanced, like... They, mm-hmm. you can you can be brave and commit courageous acts on the battlefield but still be fighting on the wrong side 
Exactly. Like you can you can acknowledge like wow, this is insanely impressive you did this thing, but it would probably have been for the best if you didn't. Right. <laughs> I'm surprised we we have yet to receive any hate mail about uh our our take on uh the lost cause and whatnot, but I'm yeah, I'm sure yeah. it's coming at some point. Just like Oh, just give it time. <laughs> well, if I uh I can't wait to see what kind of response we get from this because I, I think we'll get a generally positive response, especially from, you know, people who watch your stuff regularly. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you said, there's always that subgroup that has to be mad at everything. Yeah, just like give it time. And I tried to kind of like toe a line in all this. Um, but I, I guarantee you there's going to be at least one person who walks away like, oh, Brandon doesn't like that the movie isn't woke. He's political politics, this, that, the other. It's like, no, no, it's just, yeah. <laughs> I just want it to be better. I just want the movie to be better. I want, the thing is, I want the movie to pick a dis, pick a, a, a narrative uh, technique and stick with it and tell the story well instead of pulling me in so many different directions. Oh, well. Well, it has been... It has been great chatting with you. Um, if you want, I will uh, give the floor to you now uh, to share any of your social medias, your YouTube, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. If there's any kind of projects or upcoming things that you have that you want the people to know about, have at it. The The microphone and or floor is yours. All right. Awesome. Well, to be fair, I've, I feel like I've seized the floor a lot this evening uh, that's um, fine that's why know we brought you here <laughs> you know what if um if for whatever ungodly reason anyone would like to to swing on by and listen to a lot more of basically the same thing uh well you can find me on youtube at um well youtube is just brandon f i'm not very creative with the naming just brandon f you'll find me that way um I have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. I don't really use it too much. It's really just to promote the YouTube. Um, if you'd like to learn more about my work on a wider basis, uh, my website is nativeoak.org. Um, there's actually a reading library there. If you'd like to read more about the Anglo-Zulu War as a whole, um, I post a number of primary sources on that website as PDFs that are free to access. Um, so you can read like journals of soldiers who were actually fighting in the war and war correspondents and such, the guys who are actually on the ground for a lot of this stuff. You can read their perspectives on what's going on and maybe read, um, you know, some examples of how the dialogue in Zulu could have gone. <laughs> um, otherwise, honestly, talking about all this today really makes me want to make a video about the movie Zulu. And then I can reference the podcast that way. Be like, here are all my thoughts about it. I think that would be a really, really good subject. And uh, I I can even make the rubber spears joke there because I think that that's (laughs) quite good. Um, So So I might might have to put that into my schedule. I claim rubber spears for a t-shirt, though. Oh, no, that is is your right. Absolutely. I cede that to you. So so I was on the... On a podcast with two jackasses, and we were talking about Zulu. <laughs> One guy didn't even finish the movie. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know you, you could you could put that into your uh, your video. And be like, this movie is so bad that a movie podcast couldn't even finish it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, no, it's not that bad. Oh, it just makes me sad thinking about it because it's not that bad. It's a two hour plus long movie and it goes by so quickly, but then it's just like, it just leaves a bad taste. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop ranting. We're at the end. No more <laughs> ranting. Anyways, that's me. I don't shut up and you can find me on YouTube. Thank you so much. It, it really was, um, John, it was, a, it was a pleasure being here. I really appreciate that you reached out. I had a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Thank, thank you so much. Well, thank you for joining us. So as I, I teased earlier in our conversation, uh, next week we will be joined by the gentleman from the Civil Weird podcast. Uh, if you haven't heard of them or if you haven't checked them out, I highly recommend it. They have great episodes, such as uh, one of their most recent ones was the Camel Corps. Fantastic. It's very funny, very educational and informative. Check them out. Check out our episode next week uh, with them. Uh, by their request, we are going to be reviewing, uh, I think it's the 50s. I might be a little wrong on that. I'm just going off the top of my head. But it is a film starring William Holden and John Wayne, which is The Horse Soldiers, which uh, follows some cavalry guys in the Civil War. So, Hell yeah. We're, you're just excited because it has horses, aren't you, Jack? Kinda. <laughs> okay. I like horses. So yeah, tune in next week for our conversation with those guys. Uh, if you like the show, please leave a review. The stars do matter. Um, if you know anybody who's looking for a podcast, please share it with them. We always love having our stuff uh, shared with other people. If you're looking for additional content from us, we are both on Instagram and Facebook under the Armchair Commanders podcast. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel where we post episodes as well as other random videos that I deem necessary. They are still historical in nature, but that channel is called the History Apprentice channel. Um, we also have a Discord, which has recently started up. You can find the link for the Discord on our other social medias uh we're hoping to start incorporating live viewing sessions here soon so go ahead and hop on there and join us there uh jack do you have anything else to add i don't <laughs> i do not well it's been great having you brandon uh until next week i've been john and i'm jack and Brandon, if you could say your name. Oh, and I'm, hi, and I'm Brandon. <laughs> My God, he's dead. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I was supposed to shut up. No, that's he fine. He died doing what he hated, talking think, with us. You <laughs> talking would, about bad movies. You would think almost 30 episodes in, we would have figured this out by now, but eh. It's like you... <laughs> do, you want, do, we want to, do we want to do it again? No, that's fine. I just okay. <laughs> Until next week. We hope you have a good one. Bye.